Today we're continuing in John, in the I Am sayings, we're in that section of John, and today we are going to be in chapter 11, in the resurrection and the life, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So let's just um, ask God to guide us through his word. So Father, now we just ask for your spirit to come upon us, to teach us, to guide us, convict us, show us something from your word today, Lord, that we didn't know before something that um, brings us closer to you, better understanding of what your son has done for us, and um, how to move forward, Lord, in walking with you each day and serving each other. So teach us today, Father. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Whenever you have a message, you want to open up with some kind of catchy story or something, you know, it's, it's you know, homiletics classes, which are preaching classes, tell you to have the hook, hook people into the message. So I'm going to talk about death. And um, see, I got your attention. I've been a pastor 28 years, and no doubt, no, no, no kidding, I'm not exaggerating, probably I've done 200 to 250 funerals. I can't, t- I don't, they don't count them, I just know how many average a year, and, and I thoroughly enjoy doing funerals. More than weddings. Doesn't mean I won't do your wedding. I've been accused before, oh, you won't do weddings. I'll do your wedding. But I'd rather do a funeral. Because people listen at funerals. No one listens at a wedding. People listen at funerals because they need hope. A funeral represents someone they loved has died. And there's great pain around that. The first funeral I did, I was at Grace Church, wasn't there four or five months. And, I, and Pastor Dan, who was, who's the pastor there and I, that I work for, and my mentor in pastoring, I said, Dan, they didn't teach me how to do this stuff in seminary. He says, don't worry, we'll teach you. We'll teach you. So a couple months in, this family came to the church. One, they didn't go to our church, but a 44-year-old lady died of alcohol poisoning. She had four daughters, four young adult daughters, and they needed someone to do a funeral. So Dan called me in and handed me his notes. Here, here's your training. Go do it. I had no clue what I was doing. I went down to Ross Burke and Noble on 2nd Street in Reno and um, was petrified. But what I learned that is if you don't know Jesus, there's no hope in death. This was an open casket funeral and the, the family came to me. I mean, this story goes on and on. I don't have time to tell you it all. They came to me and, and actually, the second ex-husband wanted me to come to the casket, slip the ring back on the lady's finger, and do a wedding. Because he felt guilty for divorcing her. I said, you know, this is my first funeral. It's not going to be my first wedding. <laughs> I said, you, you go over to that, that casket and do whatever you like. <laughs> but over there, over there, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to, to make light of this, I'm sorry. Over there, they were so distraught that the youngest daughter was so filled with hopelessness and she was wailing that she crawled into the casket to be next to her mother and was bawling because of hopelessness. Is there hope in death? What we're going to learn today, and Jesus says there is great hope in death. And it's through him. So I want to tell you the story of Lazarus. 
and Jesus and their two, his two sisters, Martha and Mary. So the first point is Jesus allows Lazarus to die. Jesus is away in other villages teaching. I'm not sure exactly where he was, but he was several days away. And Martha and Mary send word to him, the one you love, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. And the implication is come. The text doesn't say that, but let's just start in verse 3 of chapter 11. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Keep that verse in mind as we move forward. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Just stop there for a moment. Do you see the incongruity there? Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And he knows Lazarus is sick, and he's being summoned, come. So you would think he would beat hoof there. But what does he do? He stays two days longer, and he allows Lazarus to die. He just said, this illness does not lead to death. But he stayed away two more days and allowed Lazarus to die. Verse 7, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So Jesus has stayed away from Jerusalem in that area because they want to kill him. They've been wanting to kill him for several chapters of the story, which is, which is months and months. And, and this, this healing now, when he raises Lazarus, it's going to heighten the, his enemy's desire to kill him because he's causing great trouble. But he heads down. The disciples say, why are we going there? They want to kill you there. So Jesus tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they say, so why are we going to go put our, your life in danger to wake Lazarus up? If he's asleep, he'll wake up. And how is Jesus using the term asleep? Yeah, it's a euphemism. Paul uses it all the time. Because Christians who die, guess what? They awake. It's called the resurrection. So death is not final to a Christian. Yes. So why would Jesus risk his life to wake Lazarus up? Because Lazarus has died. I'm going to read verses 14 to 16, because I'm going to skip to the good part, but 14 to 16, there's no slide for this. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So, so the disciples haven't figured it out yet, what Jesus is going to do. What they believe is Jesus is going to go back to Bethany, which is about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. Many people from the funeral, many people at the funeral came from Jerusalem. So the word's going to get out. Jesus is back. The religious leaders are going to come, take him and kill him. So the disciples said, we'll die with him. They've missed the whole point about what Jesus is doing, but that's not unusual for us disciples, is it? So let's look at Jesus' interaction with Martha. But first, let's understand Jesus' emotional state at this time. So to work through this, because we're going to see some words in here that, that Jesus is struggling with his friend's death. 
The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem wanted dead. We know that. He was staying away from because of that. His dear friend Lazarus has died. We've all had friends and family that have died that bring great pain to us. Martha and Mary will wonder, why weren't you here? You learned plenty of time before he died, but you chose to stay away. Jewish custom was that a formal mourning took place for seven days. So the seven days of mourning at the house of, of the departed. And many people from Jerusalem were going to be there. So that's the background of which Jesus is now entering into. Let's go to chapter 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. So here's something the scripture doesn't teach us, but Jewish tradition teaches us this, that there was a belief among the Jews that the soul hung around the body for three days before it departed. But then, because of the decay of the body, by the fourth day, the soul was gone. Now, this isn't a biblical teaching. This is a Jewish um, um, tradition or a myth that, that, that Jesus enters into this. He stays away four days. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I, we're going to come back to that verse, but, but feel the tension that Martha had communicated to Jesus, the one you love is, is ill, and Jesus stayed away on purpose and allowed him to die. Martha is not fully aware of the, that whole information or that rationale why, but if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. How many times have you gone to God and said, God, you could have stopped this. Why didn't you? Do you feel the tension? It's very important. We have this woman who, who, who believes in Jesus, but doesn't understand what he's doing. He had the power to change this, and he didn't. But even now, Martha says, I know that whatever you ask for God, God will give you. I'm not sure exactly what she's asking. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But I wonder if, if he's saying here, what are you going to do now? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world I read the whole story to you, but what I want to do now is I want to, to step back and um, walk through verses 22 through 26 again and, and look at Jesus' words about who he claims to be. I am the resurrection and the life. So, so here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to walk through 21 through 26 once again and talk about it as we go along. So verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We'll come back to that. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She says, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. There was a common belief among Israelites at this time. I told you before about the Sadducees and the Pharisees had different beliefs. The Pharisees were the conservatives, you might say, that actually believed the Bible. The Sadducees were the liberals that didn't believe the Bible. Okay? And 
They did, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, did not believe life after death, did not believe in angels. They were naturalists, but they ran the temple ministry. The Pharisees ran the synagogue ministry, the teaching ministry of Israel, and they fully believed in a resurrection. So they taught the people there's a resurrection at the end of time when God will raise people from the dead. Martha believes that. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She goes, I know that will happen at the end of time, but there's a lot of pain between now and then. So what's Jesus saying? Your brother will rise again. Is it kind of a double meaning possibly referring to the end of time when we all rise up? Or is he telling her, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead? Just give me a few. We don't know. Verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? All those funerals I told you that I do, I primarily teach from this passage. And right there is the heart of what I use in a a message at a funeral. Do you believe this? Because In the end, all the pain that comes with death, where's our hope? He's specifically asking asking Martha right now. But we have to ask ourselves, do we believe this? Where's our hope? Who is our hope? Interesting, Jesus didn't say, I know about resurrection and life. He didn't say, I can provide it for you. What did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. Just like he said, I am the bread of life. Not, I know where to get it. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Everything focuses on the person of Jesus and the relationship we have with him that brings this life to us. So what exactly is Jesus saying about death and life? I am the resurrection and the life. And he, let me read it to you again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So I've just made some observations here. Physical death in this life is not the end. We all know this. We don't like to talk about it much, but we all know this. We will all go the way of Lazarus. Short of Jesus returning in our lifetime, we're going to die. It's part of what it means to be human. But that's not the end. While there is an intermediate life, I deeply believe this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that says absent from the body, present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1 talks about the fact that Paul says, I don't know what to choose, to die and go be with the Lord or to stay here with you. And being with Jesus is far better, Paul says. So there's clear teaching in my mind that after this body dies, I'm in the presence of the Lord. And Paul says it's a good thing. But folks, that's not the end of our, that's not the finality of our salvation. That's not the hope we have. Because our hope, our salvation, is tied to this body. Why did God become human? Why did he actually take a physical body like yours and mine? Because part of his redemption is to redeem our bodies too. This, this body is just not my earth suit until I'm disembodied with, in heaven all the time. That's actually from Plato. That's not biblical. 
There's a time in between my death and the resurrection that by God's mercy, I get to be with Jesus. But when we talk about walking streets of gold and all that, that's not until the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we're waiting for. Death is the enemy. And that's why we mourn. First Thessalonians tells us to mourn with hope. What is the hope? The resurrection. God's going to take my body when I die, and, and I hope you mourn me. And um, I, I don't mean to, my smart aleck nature gets me in so much trouble. And some, sometimes, frankly, you need to have a little laugh in the light of death because we have great hope. That day when God raises me from the dead is going to make me just like his son. You see, he adopted me. He adopted you. And he sent his son here to die, and he raised his son from the dead. And now he's working Christ's character in you and me, in our heart, our soul, our minds. We're renewing our minds to be more like Jesus. And someday my body will be raised, and according to 1 John chapter 2 and 3, I will see him and be like him. I'll be just like Jesus in my physical body. And my heart and character will be formed into the heart and character of Christ. And so Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The resurrection is when God brings those brothers and sisters and says, Jesus, here's your family. That's our full and final salvation. So, Jesus makes a promise to her. Even if you die, you're going to live. And those who believe in me will never die. So first, two proofs that this will happen is Lazarus was raised. So that thing, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. He did it that day. Now, if I understand it right, Lazarus eventually died again. He wasn't raised in a, a, a glorified body. Jesus wasn't glorified yet, so he can't be glorified yet. Lazarus died again. But then there's a promise that when we are raised from the dead, we will never die again. You see, death is the enemy. So when God said that to, to um, Adam, if you eat from that tree, surely you will. Okay, what happened? He ate from the tree. Eventually Adam and Eve died. Paul says the wages of sin is? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us death is the last enemy to be overcome. And when is it completely overcome? At the resurrection when Christ raises us all. Death is gone. No more tears, no more struggles. Sin is eradicated. And we now have this life, body, soul, and spirit, made new to live forever. And so I, I know many of you in this room have lost people you love. And the pain in that. I've um, buried my parents, my grandparents, um, two sisters, from, from drug overdoses and um, and multiple people I love. I remember my mother's funeral. I had to do her, I didn't have to. Dan Frank, the pastor at Grace Church, said, I'll do your mother's funeral. I said, no, I will do it. Took me about 30 minutes longer than it should have because I couldn't stop crying. But I had to be the one who brought hope to my family who doesn't all believe in Jesus. That hope for our, our mother, hope for our sisters, is in the person of Jesus. It's not in a set of doctrines, it's in a person. I am the resurrection and life, Jesus said. Get to know me. It's not simply something I give you, it's me that is the resurrection and the life. 
and we're going to see in John 15, we abide in Jesus. I'm way off my notes. Let me see what i got to do here. So Martha, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Jesus is centering Martha's belief not just in a general resurrection in the future, but in a relationship with him. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's look on to, to his interaction with Mary now. Let's drop down to verse 28. When he said this, she went and called her sister, Mary, saying in private, private teacher, the teacher is here, is, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were in the house, with, the, with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, exact same words as Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where was I going to read to Let's keep reading 37. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, if you guys have your Bibles open, you care to do it, you see he was deeply moved. There's a footnote there. You can see that word has a negative connotation. Jesus was ticked off. No translation does that, but the majority of time this word is used, it talks about a deep for anger at something. All the translations say deeply moved. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I, 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 I do know Greek. I'm not an expert. So I, I don't want to say all the translations are wrong. But something is going on in Jesus' heart. Deeply moved in what way? In a few moments it says he wept. But I wonder if we take the meaning of that word Jesus is mad. At what? You know, some of these mourners followed Mary. Mary. Mourners were sometimes was a profession. So, so is he mad that these fake mourners are there? Is he mad at death? Is he mad at himself, maybe? And I, I don't want to go down that Jesus failed or did something wrong, but the whole emotion of his friend dying has brought great consternation to Jesus. In the translation, um, I lost my place, where was that? He was deeply moved, and my footnote says, was indignant in his spirit and greatly troubled. So that's the heart of our Savior now, as he is looking at his, to raise his friend from the dead. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. We have this emotion of deeply moved or indignant. I'll, I'll suggest at death. Where have you laid him? They take him. He's been in the grave four days. Jesus weeps. Have you ever been in a place emotionally where you have to maintain composure? Where there's a time where you can just let go? It seems Jesus did that. That he told his friends when he was away, 
don't worry, this is not unto death. He's just asleep. He's now sat with Martha. Why weren't you here? You could have solved this. Mary, why weren't you here? You could have stopped this. So dealing with the emotions of people he loves, blaming him. And at this point now, he's coming to the tomb, and he lets go. So do you see our Savior weeping? We sometimes put Jesus as Superman, that everything's always copacetic and good. Let's see the humanity of our Lord here. The sinless humanity that is so frustrated over death and the consequences of that death among people he loves that he breaks down and cries. This is our Savior who loves us. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. So that's, that's the ones who have compassion. Now let's look at the critics. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So what I want to look at now is we have Martha saying, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Mary, if he'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And the crowd saying, this guy opened the, remember the chapter before is the story of the man born blind. Jesus opened his eyes, which doesn't happen. Well, couldn't he have kept him from dying? They have no clue what Jesus has planned. But let's look at what it means to trust God in the midst of the unbearable. If you remember back in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death, Jesus told his disciples. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Remember that? Let's look down to 37 through 40 real quick here and, and what it says. So we just read that, that um, um, we're going to look at 38 through 40. Then Jesus deeply moved again, there's that same word, came to the tomb. It was a cave and stone laid, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be odor, for it's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So the whole passage starts with him telling his disciples that this is for the glory of God. Then he reminds Martha, telling us the conversation he had with her that, that isn't, isn't um, written, written for us. Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, said, Father, I thank you you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps, and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. So what do we do in those times where we say, God, you could have done differently here. You could have stopped this. And there's always this tension, this intellectual tension. Did God cause something or allow something? You know the difference, right? Did God cause something bad or did God allow something bad? We don't like to say God caused anything bad. 
And, and I, I understand that. But we don't really work through the implications of he allowed something to happen. Because if God is all-powerful, does he not have the power to change things? A little more enthusiasm. If God is all-knowing, he knows what's going on, does he not? And knows how to solve it. If God is present everywhere, he's right there with you in the midst of all those things you don't understand. So if we have this ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God, why did he allow it to happen? Let's not, let's not excuse God for the way he runs his universe. He allows things to happen that we go, why? Why? You could have changed it. You could have stopped my sister from doing that. And on and on and on, whatever your pain is, why did he allow it? I, I don't have a, a, a definitive answer outside what it says here twice. For the glory of God. Let's go back to 1-3 there. He tells his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so the Son of God may be glorified through it. All that pain, they saw his brother, their brother raised. Jesus is glorified. He says to Martha, did I not tell you that you would see the glory of God? So in some way, that I, I will have to say, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I wish you'd have done differently. But I accept this pain in my life if in the end you will receive glory. And that glory for Jesus is people to see him and say, that's the one the Father sent to save us. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. That's how we give Jesus glory. We call him by his name, Lord and Savior, his titles, but we live our life in light of that. Deep gratitude for saving me and an overjoyed obedience as my Lord. Then he is glorified. I'll never understand some of the things that I've seen. The hardest funerals I've ever done were for children. Um, two babies I did funerals for that were murdered by their parents in abuse. And it rips your heart out. How, how can someone do that? How is God glorified in that? I don't know. But I have to step back and say, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't get it. But if you are that all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, and the last one, good God, I'm going to trust you. And depend upon those things as I walk forward in my pain and my confusion. So we'll wrap this up. Jesus' final sign brought faith in some. I put the word rot faith, but no one uses that word. So I don't know why I put that there. Look at 45 through 47. Oops, I'm in the wrong chapter. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? 
if this man performs many signs. And he goes on. And this is where, where the, 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 um, the lead um, uh, man of the Sanhedrin said, it's expedient that one man die for the many. Because they were fearful that Rome would come in and take away their kingdom, to take away their governance. And they said, don't worry about it. Rome's going to come kill him. It's better that one man die for the whole nation than the whole nation die. He didn't know what he was saying. Because this whole story is looking forward to Jesus' death. But from this moment forward, this is the last miracle in John. And it's the crescendo of miracles. And from this moment forward, Jesus has set his face to the cross. And that's where he's headed. And what the people see is I have the power over death. I am the resurrection and the life. And what is, what is their heart attitude at the cross? Hello? Absolute despair. They didn't get it. But three days later, changed everything. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life changes everything. So today, see, I haven't mentioned the Super Bowl yet, have I? God gives us little breaks in life that we can just relax and enjoy something. And some of you are going to do that today. But do me a favor. Keep the rest of today in deep perspective. This game is utterly meaningless. Enjoy your day. I'm serious. God gives us breaks to enjoy life. Let's remember what we're really here for. We're here to help mend the brokenhearted, foster the city. We're here to love our neighbor, to feed the poor, to bring that word of encouragement, to sit down and cry with someone whose family member has died, to bawl with them. Thank God for the breaks in life, but just treat it that way. This is a couple hour break before we realize our true calling is to love the people to our left, to our right, and to our front and our back to his glory. So, my overused phrase, are you with me? We're now going to have the worship team come back up and lead us in about three songs of worship, all about the resurrection. So as they come back up, please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, from your word today, Lord, just drill into our hearts what you want us to understand about our Savior that we walk with, that we talk with, that we love, and he loves us way more. That he is, he is the resurrection and the life. It's because of him that we have that hope. Keep us close to him. Keep the evil one far away from us as we pursue our Savior and we, we stay rooted in him. Um, what a gift you've given us, and we thank you. And we hope these, the rest of this service um, puts a smile on your face, that your children love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.